The Athletic. Manchester United beat Burnley 3-1 on Sunday, but we have much bigger things to talk about today. Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker, and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up today, we are going to be talking about the news of the 12 biggest, biggest, air quotes, clubs in Europe, including Manchester United, who have agreed to form a breakaway league, dubbed the Super League. Again, air quotes. What it means, what we think will happen, and we'll tell you what we know about the reaction inside the club as the idea as well as taking some of your listener questions uh, to help me make sense of what is probably the biggest footballing story since 1992, really. I'm joined, as ever, by my fellow United beat reporter, Laurie Whitwell. Laurie, it was a explosive Sunday. Uh, how did you take the news? Like everybody else, I suppose, shock. Not in you know total surprise, because clearly we've had these stories for a long while. October, there was a pretty accurate in hindsight story regarding a Super League with Florentino Perez as, as one of the main architects with JP Morgan as financial backers, which you know has come to fruition. Um, so clearly there was uh, something going on back then. But I think the, the timing of it with the fact that UEFA seemed so pleased with this new Swiss model that everyone had agreed on, or at least they thought they had, was going to be announced. It felt like a gut-wrenching twist, really. You know, you sort of see the the reports coming out and, and then I suppose you don't perhaps believe it until it's very much, you know, they actually go and announce it because we've had these kind of issues before where, you know, we'll threaten to walk away and we'll threaten to do a Super League. Um, and then ultimately it's been a negotiation tactic to come back to the table and get more power, get more money. But when the... Press release dropped, it was like half 11, I think, um, in our emails. Um, I'm not sure exactly who sent it, to be honest, but, you know, <laughs> we were on the list. And then you, uh, you know, you read the, the details and the fact that they've actually got quotes from Joel Glazer there, you know, a very rare occurrence in terms of how this is going to help uh, the, the wider football pyramid, which was an aspect that I found really nauseating just because let's not have any pretense about this. The whole point of this is to consolidate the power amongst a certain group of clubs that have decreed themselves the biggest to make more money for themselves and to basically have a competition as a regular source of income. Um, they don't like the um, random nature of having to qualify for something. They want a guarantee every year. This is the income we're going to have from a broadcast stream of the Super League, whatever, um, from match day revenue, from um, you know the glamour of of playing, you know Barcelona, um, sort of every other week. Things change and evolve, but I think right now th- there's no way I look at that as a positive step at all. And I think clearly the the main aspect of it that people have a huge issue with, and, and I do for sure, is this idea that it's 15 clubs forever without any kind of relegation, without any kind of competitive edge. Um, to the fact that they might get relegated or they might drop out or they might have to re-qualify, they might have to earn it. I mean, we saw those shirts from Leeds United on Monday night against Liverpool and clearly that riled Jurgen Klopp. Listen, he's he's earned his right to be heralded as a, as a super manager. He's, he's earned the Champions League, he's earned the Premier League massively. So, you know, he had to dethrone a, a relentless Manchester City side. But I think that is the essence of why this smacks in the face of all, you know, genuine football fans, That, that you know, that this idea that, these guys that own these clubs that let's be honest about it haven't ever really been football fans until they've bought into these clubs you know football's not their 
natural sport. You know, it's not a, a thing that they're particularly affiliated to, no matter what anybody might tell you about, um, you know, that their joy at Manchester United winning the Champions League in Moscow or, um, you know, George Best being, uh, you know, a poster on the walls of Joel Glazer's office in Washington, D.C. That, that Their motivation is money. You know, there's no other way about it. And that's, that's, that's fine. You know, in a capitalist world, that is what happens. But let's not pretend that it's anything else. Andy Mitten joins us on the podcast, a pleasure as ever. He's a contributing writer to The Athletic and editor of United We Stand. Andy, where's your head at right now? I think it's a great idea, this Super League. I'm looking forward to it starting. There's always one. Next season. <laughs> as, as if, um, yeah, I agree with much of what Laurie says. It's about money. Decisions being made by people who think they're football fans. They've never been football fans. I was surprised at the timing of it. I thought the timing was really poor. I do think it was leaked and I don't think the clubs who were who were involved, the 15, the 12, uh, they were expecting it to, to leak out. The reaction has been sort of one where they've been universally condemned and I can see why for many reasons. Too many matches. They tried increasing the Champions League before in 99 and it didn't work then and I don't think it would work now. I remember that season when there was two group stages and it was it just didn't work, it just didn't work at all. And then to see United sign up and to see Liverpool um, sign up, the complete lack of consultation from a club who talked about the value of communication, it made me think that the flags and banners around Old Trafford in lockdown, and the club have done well in lockdown, I've got to say, but this is a different issue. But the football without fans is nothing. Oh, really? So maybe consult some of the fans because they they are key to football. And if it's nothing, at least give them an inkling of what's of what's going on. The idea of the permanence or in perpetuity um, horrifies me. I think part of the attraction of sport is that you've got these really compelling stories where teams rise and fall, where. Leeds United, who Laurie mentioned, they were playing third division football. Leeds United have been European Cup finalists. Manchester City were in the third tier when Manchester United won the treble. Nottingham Forest have won the the European Cup uh, twice. Aston Villa have won it. Porto have won it. Benfica have been in seven European Cup finals. How do you think they feel about Tottenham Hotspur, who've not won a trophy since Roman times, just rolling up and saying, we're going to be in this proposed league? I think there's always a push for a reconfiguration of the format and that comes from the clubs who now absolutely hold the power, uh, wanting more money. They want a bigger slice of the pie. I think there's a, a deep distrust of UEFA from the clubs. and I don't think I know there is. And that is an about turn. And I can remember interviewing United's chairman, Secretary Ken Merritt in 91, and he, he talked about how UEFA barely communicated with Manchester United. They looked down on Manchester United. It was it was like they deal with us because they have to. And that has changed completely now since the uh, advent of the Champions League where UEFA know they've got to keep the big clubs on side because that's where the power is. I'm not a fan of it. I think that fans are an afterthought. They're already an afterthought. There's been some progress domestically on issues like ticket prices, that hasn't happened in Europe where this competition will be played. So you get situations where Barcelona charge 120 euros 
or Sevilla charge €100 Euros for Manchester United fans to travel. And it's completely wrong. I think that's too much. And I think these football clubs have been founded within the cities that they're from. And I know United or Liverpool, they're global now. But United are still from Manchester. You know, a lot of people from Manchester still support Manchester United. A lot of working class people. And I hear people saying, it's gone middle class now, the game's gone. Well, come and stand outside Old Trafford with me and I'll show you him and her and her and him. And they're just normal Mancunians who support their team and the normal working people. And they have got an addiction, rightly or wrongly, and that addiction is to their football club. And they do take holidays so that they can go to Crystal Palace away. And when they leave the ground, they find out that because of TV scheduling, the train's already left to go back to Manchester because they don't really care about the match-going fans. And the match-going fans now, they're in a minority. This isn't about the match-going fans. This is about the global support, which clubs like United have got. And I'm pretty proud of, actually, that when I go to Tehran, six different people get in touch with me on Twitter, which I thought was banned in Iran and want to get in touch with me because they're big United fans. And I could do that in almost any country in the world. It's flattering that all these people support this football club a mile from where I grew up. But it's being distorted by money, and it worries me tremendously. The Americanization and American influence, I've got nothing against American people, but it is a different sporting model. I see cities in in the US where this franchise system works and it makes me really uncomfortable just as I was uncomfortable when MK Dons were formed out of Wimbledon. I remember being in the States and reading about the Cleveland Browns. One of the best books I've ever read was about the Brooklyn Dodgers being taken out of Brooklyn. It's horrific because football clubs are part of their community in Europe. And people might say, well, they can still take part of the community. It's just going to mean more European games, more attractive games, but I quite like the Premier League, how it works. I like the fact that West Brom can go to Anfield and get a late equaliser. And me being a fan of neither of those clubs can celebrate it. That Burnley can come to Old Trafford and give United a real fright as they did on Sunday. And actually lost the game for the first time in five at Old Trafford. These results happen and I don't enjoy them when they happen, but that suffering is part of being a football fan. And a lot of the clubs who've been, um, who've signed up to it, they are serial winners. And a lot of their fans have been attracted to serial winners, but someone has to lose in football. And I worry sometimes when I see the reaction of fans of the super clubs who've been attracted by um, winning, they go absolutely mental. Now, if you're going to have a league table, not everyone can be first. And that, that worries me. I'm, I'm worried about the, the whole thing. What do you think, Carl? Because you're from a you're from a different place to me. You're from a different generation to me. You're younger than me. In in some ways, I am the global fan mm. from a previous era. So you know, my dad my dad ends up supporting Tottenham Hotspur because he loves watching Glenn Hoddle on television in the eighties. So he he's one of the early versions of a global fan before the Premier League comes across. I live in London and end up supporting Manchester United because Eric Cantona scores a goal in the FA Cup final. And then I don't particularly travel up to Manchester and watch Manchester United play at Old Trafford until my adult years. So it is difficult right now because we're seeing accusations of hypocrisy. We're seeing jaded responses. We're seeing people say, what did you expect? Uh, I recorded, I was on the Totally Football Show 
on Monday and I was after the announcement was made and I was quite angry at what the announcement was. Uh, I called it dull, pathetic, boring hypercapitalism from people who have more money than sense and will make more money than they can spend in a lifetime. This, I think what really hurts me and what sort of every single morning since the announcement that really gets me in the chest is the timing of it. Not only the timing of the announcement in that they waited until 11 o'clock UK time, mid, you know, midnight, Madrid time. So times where the fans in these countries of these clubs are going to bed, but also when it's six o'clock in New York. So it's good for the stock market, just the pure contempt there. And it is contempt. I, I can't dress it up and pretend, oh, it's just business. It's, it's contempt for, for, for football fans and contempt for people. It's contempt for people in what has been an incredibly difficult season, not just for those in football or those who report on football, but for football fans. You know, we've talked about abuse on this podcast before and how we've had two or three instances where a football fans have been abusive to one of the two of us and we've gone, why are you being abusive? And they've come back and said, oh, I'm really sorry. Football's my only release right now and my emotions are really tied up into it, right? There are people out there right now who have been affected by COVID-19, have been affected by lockdown, and football is their only true outlet for emotion. It's their only true thing they can enjoy. And a number of these football clubs within the Super League have talked about community and have talked about how things mean more because their football club is special. Um, I've talked about how they care and how they've gone out during these pandemic times and they want to look after everyone. And they're saying, we really miss you football fans. We really want you to come back because we're not the same until you come, until you come back. And then on a random Sunday, when we're all trying to go to bed to do this, which is a coup, it's a heist. It's, it's, it's the thieving of, of joy. It's the thieving of proper competition to do that is it's disgraceful. And the fact that it's coming from, it's coming from people that haven't necessarily communicated with their clubs in a very long time. It's coming from people who it feels like the rich kid who got tackled at five aside and gone, right, I'm taking my ball and going home. It's people who have never, ever been the underdog who've never, ever had to suffer. Who've never, ever under understood the joy of suffering in football. Who've decided that, Oh, I've misspent a bunch of money. So I'm going to rewrite reality now. So underdogs can never exist. That's the main thing, isn't it, Carl? You know, I think very eloquent there. And, you know, if this is such a great idea, why are none of them speaking about it? You've got Florentino Perez, who's gone on radio, and obviously he's emboldened by Real Madrid's status in Spain and um, his own personal, um, you know, attachment to that club. And he's he's kind of saying all kinds of things. Um, but none of the Premier League clubs, no one's speaking about it publicly. We've had a, you know, a paragraph of a, of a comment from Joel Glazer, who, you know, came into Old Trafford uh, saying that he would communicate with fans regularly um, with an MUTV interview, and that was 16 years ago, and that's about it. He doesn't come to the matches. I think Barcelona at Old Trafford was his, his last one where, you know, you can see where <laughs> the idea maybe has is, is kind of taken root in his brain that actually this could be a, a good thing on a regular basis. So why, if it's such a good idea, which is what, you know, we're being told privately, you know, the Swiss model wasn't good, actually, you know, in reflection, we, we you know, but then I mean, why, why agree to it? <laughs> okay, maybe that's all part of the manoeuvring, you know, I mean, it seems very Machiavellian, doesn't it, to kind of agree to one thing and then, you know, over the weekend, you know, 
change course dramatically. Clearly, it was all set up. If your new league is so great and, you know, millions of fans all over the world are going to enjoy it, come and speak about it. You know, put put your put your money where your mouth is. It's not it's not even their money, which also hurts, right? So even yeah. so yeah. these are people yeah. that talk about comp they've called it the super league. What's super about it? It's not got the best teams in there based on merit. They're they're calling it a league where there's no relegation. They're they're making half-hearted comments towards solidarity payments. There's 27 words mentioned towards the women's game. This is these are people claiming they are creating a great competition for football with but at the same time they've got no respect for sporting competition they've got no respect for finance you've got Florentino Perez right now pleading poverty on Spanish radio saying Real Madrid we can barely cope we've, we've made so, so many losses no excuse me why have you refinanced your stadium right now to build what looks like a ridiculous UFO I really want to think about the joy we had at the end of last season when Manchester United beat Leicester and we all sort of did a big, oh, phew, we've got into the Champions League. Now we can start having a good summer and enjoy that. What's the point if there's a Super League now? They don't want that, do they? They don't want that jeopardy. They don't want that knife edge. Oh, could it happen? Might it not happen? They want a guarantee. Um, yeah, and I find it, I do find it very distasteful that, you, that the pandemic has been brought up as some kind of reason for this. Uh, you know, we're losing lots more money, et cetera, et cetera. But we also, at the same time, we were told, as you said earlier, Carl, about these sort of initiatives that were done during the pandemic. And I think it is right that Manchester United are lauded for those work that those works that they did in the communities and helping those people. But you kind of now are thinking back and going, is that still the same thing? You know, because ultimately, was this the end game? Ultimately, that, that really wanted to then use the pandemic in a way that suggests actually we need more money to to protect ourselves. I think a lot of the stuff in the pandemic was genuine and there's a lot of really good people who work at the club and the club realized its role in the community and put the hand in the pocket and help people out but a lot of these people they're just employees that the power comes from Joel Glazer you know even Ed Woodward he's he's got a a very lucrative job and clearly he's an important person uh, in football but he's still working for a boss and if his boss decides this is what we want to do He's got to go along with that, and if he doesn't, then he changes. He changes company. Do, do you think that's at the heart of then? You know, we, we had Ed Woodward in October, uh, telling investors when this story first came out that there he was very much on board with the ECA that the, the organisation has just quit from that the, the uh, working within UEFA for for new Champions League format. That's what the kind of conversations they were having. Do, do you, how do you square those two things then? I think it's difficult to square those two things and it leads to comments like Infantino calling Ed Woodward a snake because he felt he had his confidence as recently as last week that he was on board with the new um, UEFA proposals. And I know that there's concern about UEFA from some of the leading clubs. And I know that there are some United fans who will never hear anything from whoever is in charge of the club. I've done United We Stand for 31 years. I can remember letters of complaint about Martin Edwards, Peter Kenyon, David Gill, and obviously the Glazers because of the way that the takeover happened. And it should never have been allowed to have happened, in my opinion, that highly leveraged takeover. But it's still happening. Burnley were taken over under similar circumstances very, very recently. And that, you know, Carl called it uber capitalism. is quite right. And I live in a capitalist society. I accept that, but that doesn't mean that it, that it has to sit right and the ownership remained deeply un- unpopular and, and Ed Woodward was the 
was instrumental in the Glazers taking over. Do I think Ed Woodward really thinks that United should have been, that takeover should have been allowed to have happened? I probably don't do, but he's an employee. He's going to do what he's paid to do. And I think that the club probably do think that the Super League is the way forward. The, the only one area I feel conflicted in myself on it is this argument that, say you've got United and Barca and they play each other every 10 years on average. I think it is it is odd that they play each other more pre-season in America than they do in actual competition. That these great teams don't get to play each other because you're allowing for a draw. But then when that draw does happen, it's all the special because of the scarcity of it. Because if it was happening all the time, I don't think it would be would be as special. But that's the only area where I feel conflicted on it. Um, thinking that would I wake up in the morning and rather see United playing against Real Madrid or United against Fulham? Well, Fulham's a good away day. But they should just be better then, shouldn't they? Yeah, they should, yeah. I think Andy makes a great point. You can't drink champagne every day. You know, you, 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 get <laughs> you tried it. <laughs> I had my birthday week. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yes, of course you did. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You were there Sunday though, Carl. What, what did you make of it? Because it felt like, I mean, we've written this in one of our pieces on what the players think and um, led to believe that Solskjaer was told sort of before kickoff, basically, that this is genuine, but by Edward Wood, not much time though. He had a match to prepare for. You were there on Sunday. You saw him in the post-match. What, what did you make of all that? He looked completely blindsided by everything. So uh, I recently wrote a piece about what it's like being in a press conference with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I said he tends to last about 20 minutes before a game in his pre-match. And then after the game, he talks for about seven minutes, just sort of tactics, who's injured. It's all about the process and whatnot. This was four minutes. First question, just saying, I don't really know about this. Um, it, it looked to me in the press conference as if he had heard even later than before kickoff. And he was sort of heard this went fine, whatever, I'm going to get into the game. Um, and then he was in and out in four minutes the one of the quickest press conferences I've seen and he had a sort of a quiet seething to him that I have not seen him have since uh, Mino Raiola's comments about Paul Pogba before their final Champions League group game against a certain energy drink we're not talking about that Leipzig no, game I no. got over that last but, week uh, again this is the thing the, after that Leipzig game I remember we were on this podcast and we talked about how Manchester United often talk about taking competition seriously and they often talk about doing the good work. They talk about how they want to get directors in football. They want to talk about how they want to improve the academy. They talk about how they want to improve the stadium. They talk about how they want to improve the first team and bring in really talented players. And they they say all these nice things and then they don't do it. And that was the frustrating thing for all of us after the Leipzig defeat. And now I think what's really hard is they finally seem to be doing that, right? There's a football director We've got Darren Fletcher as a technical director. The academy's getting better. The women's team's doing really well. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has got that team to top four on merit and doing really well. And yeah, we can talk about if certain players will stay, but you're going, this is a good feeling for a Manchester United fan. This is sustainable. And then 
partway through your game on Sunday, as you're going, I like my football team. Things are good for my football team. We've just found out Joel Glazer's gone. Nah, I'm not. I don't want to do that hard work anymore. It's the person that goes to the gym for two months and goes, no, nah, I haven't got abs yet. Not to this. I'll just go back home, eat some more pizza. You've, che- you've cheated everyone. <laughs> there, was, there was actually a, a point of that as well, because you know Mason Greenwood you know, had another good game where I'm pretty sure United would have liked to shine a light on him. You know, Solskjaer for sure would have, would have liked to promote a guy, a kid, you know, 19 years old, who looked full of life after the game, didn't he? In, in his Sky interview, had a really good game. And instead, we've got all this, you know, this kind of to and fro in, you know, this kind of bitterness, this kind of, you know, sort of intrigue and, and you know, sort of just the stuff that you don't really want to be taught. You know, you rather, football is a pure sport in essence, isn't it? And that's what you'd rather be talking about, you know, someone, a kid who's, you know, come through a difficult start to the season who really seems to be thriving. It was a wonderful moment for Greenwood's goal. So it happens just as Marcus Rashford's been substituted. And I can say Rashford wasn't hobbling. To, to the bench. He looked sharp, to be fair, uh, in the sharp. game, didn't he? Got a nutmeg. Uh, there's a little bit where he was walking towards the dugout and he sort of hears a noise and he turns around. He can look across and Marcus Rashford is watching Mason Greenwood cut inside and shoot. And when the goal goes in, Rashford sort of throws his arms up in joy <laughs> at great. looking at his teammate score. And it's sort of like, yeah, come on. And it was it was good. It was loud. It was one of those get goals that you're going, you, you know, as Andy often says, I wish the fans were there to see that. Because that's what, I'm a stats nerd and I love XG, but football is also about the fun, tiny things. Those mm-hmm. wonderful explosions of joy of that's nice. That's amazing. I like it when that person is smiling because things happen now. And I don't, why, why should I care if all of this now is just about rampant, rampant money? It's a very strange time in football. Um, there was a fantastic Monday night football session between Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher. Andy, what I'm not sure if you saw it, but was it, but it was made on free TV and, and Gary Neville was making some really strong statements that he also made after Burnley. What do you make of the, the wider United family and their comments after this, this announcement? I know Gary. I, I know Gary. I've spoken to him. I speak to him a lot. And uh, he's very passionate. I think the bottom line is he's a good ally in this. I think when he, he goes out and speaks so passionately against something like this, he's speaking for a lot of people. I think there's some cynicism towards Gary because he didn't speak out in 2005 when the Glazer takeover went through because he was an employee and player at Manchester United. And he actually said on Monday night that he he admitted that he'd been slightly complicit and slightly, he felt slightly conflicted about that. I know he's done loads. I know he's not everyone's cup of tea. I know he's blunt. Uh, I know he's done loads of good things that have never, never got out there. Um, He wears a lot of different hats and I've seen, I was arguing with friends of mine on Sunday night about him. They're just saying, we're not, I'm just not having him. But then on Monday night, he was saying that was brilliant. What he's, what, what he's, he's just said. I think historically when, when the takeover went through or when the club went public in 91, the players and even the former players said almost nothing. And if you've got someone of Gary's profile who's prepared to come out and raise his head above the parapet, then that, that's, that's a positive thing. Uh, I agree with, almost everything that he said. It was interesting seeing the studio on Sunday, sort of caught in the, the headlights at half time. You've seen Roy Keane before the game speaking really eloquently about what it's like being in midfield. And then suddenly he's caught way out of his comfort zone at half time because all he can do is the sort of stock answers of 
this is about money, this is about greed. They can't offer the same level of insight because the story was just completely um, sprung upon them. I think what happens next is interesting. So Gary's talking about protest, um, fans of clubs working together to protest. You know, we've got Liverpool and Manchester United fans who are pretty aligned on this. In the past, the tribalism has helped um, the rulers divide and conquer within football. It's a fast-moving story. You know, are UEFA really going to kick United out of Europe this week and City and Madrid? I mean, th- these are massive, massive stories if this is going to happen. I'll be doubly annoyed because I've just booked my flight to Rome <laughs> for that semi-final. <laughs> I did I did make a check on on that and the, the, the sense from UEFA is that it would be very unlikely that United or any other teams would be kicked out um, of, of the you know their European competition just because they haven't actually the players haven't taken part yet. You know, it's not actually happened yet. That that was the, the you know the, the word I got from UEFA side of thing. Result. I think from United's perspective, uh, you know, they they are still advocating some kind of negotiation where it doesn't end in legal, you know, ramifications. You know, whilst still insisting that this isn't a negotiating tactic, that the Super League is genuine. It seems, you know, that they, they ultimately want communication. I mean, obviously, you know, those lines of communication are pretty bruised, pretty damaged um, right now. So, you know, whether or not the calls get taken, we'll see. It means that I can now contemplate jumping in the Trevi Fountain with Bruno Fernandes <laughs> in a couple of weeks, he- waving my PCR <laughs> test in the air. And also, you know, the European Championships, I'm going to cover them. Are, are United players or other players going to be able to represent the country? Monday was about waiting to see, for me, if, if Seville and Dublin and Munich were going to be hosts. And it just all got pushed uh, out of the way by this huge story, which left a lot of United fans, including the support groups, the, the fans forum, the, the Red Army, the Stratford End flags, must, all these groups pretty unanimous in in their disappointment with their own club at the lack of communication that they, they all just felt completely blindsided and they spent a lot of time building up trust on both sides since the days where David Gill wrongly just cut all communication with fans after the the Glazer um, takeover and it's difficult for the fans as well you know I interviewed Ed Woodward for United We Stand and I'm glad I did and I'd, I'd ask him exactly the same questions again well maybe I'd throw a few in about the Super League <laughs> now but there's a huge mistrust around that. Why are you even speaking to him? You know, why why are you not assaulting him? Well, he's there in front of you. There's a real distrust of the ownership at the club. And I know a lot of people on the comm side have worked really hard to build bridges with fans and some good has come from it. So that you're seeing like the, the Red Army section, you're seeing reduced price drinks, you're seeing the flags around the stadium, which can look really good. You're seeing things like, away travel being subsidised to Astana, refunds given for LASK, £30 ticket prices, um, safe standing returning. All these things would have been um, seen as being implausible a decade ago and they've all happened and that's a good thing. But this has just blown it all out of the water for now. For now. I think that... um, I think that the people in charge maybe know that there's going to be a lot of hot air, but will that manifest itself in people genuinely not renewing the season tickets? I'm a bit cynical because I saw it all in 2005. I saw people singing not for sale and they were there the next season at Old Trafford. There wasn't an empty seat at Old Trafford the following season. Although 4,000 of probably including some of the most political and activist style Manchester United fans, they did go to FC United, they formed a new football club and that's still going. 
And they did that on a point of principle and they feel absolutely vindicated when they see things like the this Super League announcement. Um, but there's been money, there's been horrendous amounts of money in, in, in the capitalism in football for a long, long time. And as Ferguson said, when you when you when you start doing deals with these, these TV companies and you're shaking hands with the devil. Let's talk a little bit about Alex Ferguson because he did make a comment about the Super League. It, it felt as if he had, he broke rank to some. I think it's James Milner syndrome. He can say it now and people will listen to him because he's this saintly figure. But in 2005, when the Glazers came in, he said nothing apart from supported them. And I think that socialist Alex Ferguson from Govan probably objected. And his strongest line was that I've got to support my staff here. And I get that staff argument. You know, there's probably a lot of people in the club who'd love to speak out, but they can't do because they're going to lose their jobs. So they can't speak out. But he was complicit in the Glazers taking over Manchester United, whether you like it or not. He's the greatest manager in the history of the club, him and Sir Matt Bosby. But when... A lad I know went up to him at the carousel in, I think it was Budapest or Bucharest Airport, and said, you're a disgrace for your role in this. He said, well, if you don't like it, go and support Chelsea. We got a question actually from one of the listeners on that um, sort of theme from Ryan Smith, who, who, who basically asked us about Sir Alex's role in the takeover. Could he have killed it off? And now, sort of coming out now. And I think it is, it's still a, a positive thing to see him say what he said. Yeah, I think it is. I, th- I think on balance it is, yeah, because he's still a hugely yeah. important. And figure. he was obviously there, wasn't he, on Sunday in the stands? So to 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 actually yeah. come out, you know, whilst this is all happening and, and say something, albeit it wasn't it wasn't as you know evocative as as Gary Neville and, and Jamie Carragher on Monday Night Football. It was very much, I don't think United are involved in this. Um, clearly, I think at that point he probably did know, but he was trying to disassociate himself from it. And I guess also that is a sign, you know, he probably didn't know you know, really, we didn't know what was going on. And that is the same thing with the players and, and with Solskjaer. And, and that is what kind of cuts across everything. And, and you know, this is going to be career-changing stuff for, for players, um, potentially, um, in terms of contracts, in terms of an out of games being played. You know, you look at the actual fixture list and it's something like 18 games, isn't it, guaranteed in the group stages. So how is that going to... 18. 18. 18, 18 guaranteed. matches. So how is that all going to fit in? We're already talking about fatiguing players and, and, and not working players too hard. And now you, you, you're adding more games on without consulting them, which, you know, just, just you know, goes totally against any kind of idea that I would have of you know, a, a kind of community spirit to something. Money, 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 all about money. The players will be placated with if your 200,000 will go up to Well, well this, is, this is the question. I mean, some, you know, we, we did a piece on what, what do the players think? So this actually comes from, we, we've got a piece out on the Athletic right now in, in terms of that, talk, talking about contract clauses, talking about, you know, what the players are, you know, they, they, they are you know, talking about this very much so behind the scenes. Um, Georgina Cresswell um, asked about players' contracts and whether um, they're contracted to play in any competition their club plays in or could they refuse to play you know they wouldn't refuse to play it's as simple as that you know I think they'd have to just go along with it the only there is a clause though within um, Premier League contracts which basically says clubs should not do anything that sort of disbars them playing for their countries so if they generally are you know if UEFA are serious about kicking players out of the European Championship or FIFA you know ultimately um, ban players from the World Cup then they 
could theoretically have you know a, a case for breach of contract. Now, would they actually go and tear up their contract? Maybe some unhappy players who are on the bench who aren't playing every week would, would use that. But I think most players would go, right, we'll, we'll renegotiate. Because um, a lot of the clauses, for example, the bonuses that players get are worded in, you know, UEFA Champions League competitions, if they qualify, you know, United have a pretty standard clause where if they're in the UEFA Champions League, wages generally go up. 25%. Presumably that would then just be transferred over to the Super League. But some agents that we spoke to said that actually they've already advertised how much money they're going to get from this Super League. It's, you know, it's three times as much per per year, I think. You know, should the players not then have that trickle down to them? You know, this is obviously, you know, a, a sort of tense um, situation that might develop. But some agents also said to us that actually, would there be such a requirement of these clubs in the Super League to go out and buy players and pay high wages because they're already in the most lucrative competition guaranteed. What's the uh, kind of incentive to go and actually spend on the squad, spend on player wages? So that was an alternative viewpoint. But yeah, there's there's lots in terms of what the players think and what managers think that I'm sure they, they think behind the scenes, but will they actually vocalise them? You know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer speaks on Friday and I think I'm sure he's probably grateful that there's not a, a midweek press conference to, you know, whilst this all sort of develops. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. UK-based viewers, we also, after Monday Night Football, saw uh, interesting interview from Jurgen Klopp where he said he'll sort it. Um, and we all, we all know about Jurgen Klopp's politics and how he's denounced a Super League in 2019 as well. Do we think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer might make similar comments in that next press conference? Or could things such as his possible contract negotiation make things difficult for the manager? Laurie, what do you think here? Yeah, he's in a different position to Jurgen Klopp, isn't he? Because Klopp's got the strength of a Premier League title, you know, the first Premier League title, well, first league title, sorry, in 30 years for Liverpool, a Champions League. He's transformed that club on the pitch. So he has more credit in the bank to go to the owners and say, well, actually, if you want me to keep you know, keep Liverpool as this team, as this club, I, you know, I don't agree with this. I do think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has views on it, you know, strong views. And I wouldn't be surprised if privately he said those views, whether he then says them publicly, I would be surprised to be fair. Um, I don't think he's ever struck me as somebody who has you know, sort of deliberately gone into war on these kind of matters. He, he um, it, you know, when when the fans sung against the Glazers in the Burnley home defeat, the two 0 he was asked about that those chants, and you know he, he basically said the same thing as Ferguson had said when he was manager, and that you know that they're good owners, they haven't you know they've given me money to spend on players, you know I can't go against them. And listen, if if we were asked to go against our bosses at the Athletic, you know for for whatever reason that might be, would we really say that publicly? I, I don't know. It'd be a difficult. It would depend on our our own personal position in life, whether we you know really needed this job or whether we could move on and, and get another job. Solskjaer's obviously got a contract negotiation coming up in in the summer. 
you know, I think his position could be strengthened. You know, if a Europa League is is ultimately in his um, suitcase at the end of the season, and you know, a second place with with pushing City pretty close, then I think he's in a decent position, and maybe that will shape. Um, you know how those particular negotiations go, but I think that's you know, the, these kind of conversations with the owners and Ed Woodward about the Super League probably come too soon for that. Andy, what do you make of this? I agree with that. I think I'd be unlikely for Ollie to come out as the Crusader saying this is a disgrace and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna die on this hill. Um, I just don't think it's his style, and I don't think it's his problem. Even though he's influential, and United fans did go to him in 2005 and. He was very supportive of um, shareholders United. Um, I think that this was sprung upon him. His job is to coach a football team and to get them winning matches. And he's doing that. And he's doing that really well. And United are on a good, a good winning run. And if he's backed in the summer and strengthens that team, I see even more reason for optimism. Second in the league, same number of points after 32 games as after 38 games at the end of last season. He's, he's probably be in his strongest position as Manchester United manager now. You sense that, I know you did a piece for the Athletic where you talked about him growing into his role and being more comfortable and more emboldened in his own opinions. And, and, and I totally get all that. But all these people are employees. They're employees. They just are. They can be brave and it can cost them the, the, the job. And what do we do as journalists? I was asked this morning, if the Super League starts, are you going to cover it? And I probably would because it's my job and I need to earn money to support my family. And I was in Madrid against Liverpool last week to earn money to support my family. So we can all, you know, I, I feel that we can, the media can be really important. It can fight a good fight. We've always tried to do that with United We Stand and represent the views of the supporters. And I think the views are getting out there now. Um, but I think privately you'll find a lot of people agree with the sentiments that they don't like the idea but publicly what they say will be very, very different. Klopp is hugely powerful in Liverpool um, and respected. Um, but even before the match, I felt he held back a yeah. little bit. It was only yeah. after the game. Yeah, he did, didn't he, Laurie? He I back. didn't think he was quite as strong as the Not interpretation exactly. perhaps has, has been. He definitely left some rigour room. Exactly. And obviously he trained his, his target at, leads for having these shirts and for Gary Neville for, for talking about you never walk alone is a no. little bit divergent listen I might be wrong he might have you know he, he, obviously they're just drawn haven't they they, they conceded a late equaliser so he probably wasn't in the best of moods but um, yeah it, it was it wasn't the it wasn't the kind of uh, evocation of I am going to sort this and it's going to end right here right now no. it wasn't that no. and you know, a lot of fans will believe the establishment they will come back to the establishment I've learned that in all the time I've covered United. For all the rage, people go back to supporting the team. And maybe the authorities know that. Maybe the people behind this know that. I've seen countless people say, this will be the final straw for me. I've had enough. It's not what it used to be. I'm giving up my season ticket. And they don't. And some do, but most don't. And that's why the stadium remains full. I think in some ways they're gambling on that. They're gambling on the apathy. Addiction. Of football fans. And yes, and it's the addiction. addiction. Um, there's a very, very good man called Harry Flowers who once went a whole year without watching a game of football. And he said his big conclusion was, inevitably, you just need something to do on a Saturday. Yeah, exactly. And that's where football comes in. It's a soap opera and we're part of it. We're part, we make our living out of it. It's a very strange weekend where uh, Mr Mourinho being sacked <laughs> is not even the third most important football story. Um, for what it's worth, I think the Swiss model of the Champions League 
is a big bag of nonsense as well. So let's just get that out there. If if, just like releasing opinions. Right. There is a game on the weekend. Manchester United are going to play Leeds United. They're going to Ellen Road. This should have been a quite interesting game for United to, to possibly double up and confirm their position in second place in the league and then possibly secure the futures of some of their players when they've guaranteed the law of Champions League football. So I'm going to take a big, deep exhale here. And Laurie, why is this game important this weekend? It is important. It's 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 Man United back at Leeds uh, at Allen Road. I think I've said before here, I went to the last game at Allen Road where United were playing the Premier League, Roy Keane, late winner. So there is all that. It's a shame, again, that there's no fans there because it would have been uh, a freebrile atmosphere and, you know a bit of spice and you like all that. Um, so it does it, it does matter. It does matter for the league position. It does matter for Solskjaer continuing this positive uh, momentum. And you look at the way that the table is and there is a, a point at which is you know, I don't think he's quite given, has anyone quite given up on the title? Listen, okay, we'll put that to the side, but there's a point at which they could definitely qualify for the Champions League, this thing that, you know, might be consigned to the realms of history quite soon, but they could qualify with a couple of games to spare. And in that situation, that at least gives them, if they do manage to get through to the Europa League final, a bit of breathing room. So, you know, that's that's why the Leeds game, again, would be important for, for that reason, you know, so at least they could you know, really go all, all guns blazing for, for trophy. Clearly Leeds will be spiky. You know, we saw how they welcomed Liverpool. They are going to do the same thing with Man United. Merseyside Reds is what they called Liverpool on Twitter. Um, I guess Manchester Reds in the, what is it, pro-evolution soccer days is, is, is what they used to be called for the copyright reasons. Uh, so yeah, that for sure is happening. I mean, Leeds have been a bit a bit, bit crass on Twitter previously. Uh, I had a bit of a run-in with Andrea Radrazzani uh, once when I wrote a story about how Leeds were very um, pushing the boundaries, shall we say, of their finances when it came to trying to get promotion, and and um, and then they didn't, you know, they get promotion in that, that season before last was was a, a fraught one financially. But um, and he, he sort of came at me on Twitter, which you know, I don't mind. You know, it's good to have an owner <laughs> communicating with people in public. You know, um, so um, but this, but so yeah, clearly they'll have they'll have some social media fun, won't they? You know, which is I suppose fine. Um, but I think that's you know, it, it will be a good match to watch as well because you know, United won six two at Old Trafford, Leeds are gonna come at United. The game last night was interesting, you know, the way that Liverpool and Leeds were both attacking each other, it, it'll be a fun game to watch. Andy, during the first lockdown, when we did our rewind episodes, you told a very fun story of when you went to Ellen Road in nineteen ninety nine. Well, when I got punched to the ground having <laughs> having started a- <laughs> Having started a Manchester chant, age 17, in uh, Manchester Bank. <laughs> Suddenly I'm on the, on the deck. When Leeds came up uh, last July, uh, it was the one game this season which I really thought, I missed that, I can't wait to go to it. I didn't think that there would be no fans um, for as long as has as, as tr- proved. And that obviously takes a big sting out of it because going to Ellen Road, is vicious and I think it would be absolutely vicious going there this weekend and there'd be an edge in a good way. I'm not saying that I, I would advocate violence at all or a return to those those days of what it was like, but that edge is really special. But it's all gone and I think this game will be played under this cloud that's just moved over football uh, this week. I will watch it. When the news broke on Sunday, just sort of, oh, there's United are playing Burnley. It just sort of, it felt, it felt weird. And I think it will feel weird 
this weekend. The game at Old Trafford was probably the most entertaining this season. Mm-hmm. Scott McTominay's performance was probably the best individual performance I've seen from a United player this season. I, I really admire Bielsa. I'm really intrigued by the football that he plays. Results have borne that intrigue out that they beat Manchester City with 10 men. He's really interesting. I found that even when he was in Argentina and in France and in Spain, he's always fascinated me, partly because he's an absolute nutter. But (laughs) I think he adds to football. Um, So if United can continue the good run, I I feel sort of slightly hollow saying all this, finish, continue the good run, finish second, hope that City lose. Imagine if City lost again, suddenly like you're telling me there's a chance (laughs) and then hating yourself because you've given up on there being any sort of chance. But for what? To get into a competition which might not exist. Into a competition that's been artificially created because at the time of the talks, Tottenham Hotspur have got a nice big spanking new stadium and playing a rich city and they're favoured over Benfica just because they're from a country of 10 million people. It's just, it just, it's just being played under a cloud because of the wider sort of geopolitics of, of football. Before we wrap up, I do want to say we've all been very, very hard at work on The Athletic trying to get the in-depth stories that you deserve on the Super League and beyond. Uh, Laurie has already mentioned a fantastic piece he collaborated on yesterday about what the players thinking of on the Super League. Daniel Taylor has done a column on Alex Ferguson and the relationship he's had with the Glazer family throughout the years and indeed the reaction he had in 2005. I will have a column going up on Tuesday and possibly Wednesday on the idea of the global fan and the international fan of the future that Florentino Perez and others keep talking about and whether or not they even exist in the first place or even exist to the monetary need that these people need them to be in the first place as well. There's also some really good in-depth reads on Jose Mourinho and what went wrong at Spurs. And I still recommend you check out Laurie's piece on Jose Mourinho and what went wrong at Manchester United. (laughs) And he's going to have something in the bag because he always has something in the bag for the Athletic soon. And if you want to enjoy all of that, I can tell you right now, you can subscribe to the Athletic for the special price of $3.99 a month for the next six months. That's 40% off the price of a full subscription. You can enjoy all those articles and more and ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, all you have to do is go to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to take advantage of this 40% discount. That's theathletic.com slash manunitedpod. Other than that, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much, Laurie, for joining me today. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, Andy. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you so much, Andy, for joining me. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Laurie. And uh, thank you, listeners. Take care of yourselves, and I will see you sometime next week. The Athletic.